All right, and we're back. Episode five of the Let's Talk About God podcast. Man, it is so good to be back having a conversation about God. How you been doing? I've been doing good. How about you? Real good. I'm drinking my coffee, trying to wake up. <laughs> Got up early this morning, but it's been it's been a good day so far. I'm in mourning. In mourning? Yes, I'm in mourning right like now. Like the sad kind of mourning? The sad kind of mourning. What happened? I'm in mourning in the morning. My boat motor blew up this week. Oh, no. And it's prime fishing time, and so now I need to put a wreath on the funeral wreath on the front of my boat because it's it died. Are you going to like go through the whole ceremony, bury it in a boat graveyard? I th- I'm going to have to do something, but I'm, I'm kind of in mourning right now. I mean, it's just uh, it's been a good boat. I've had it for a long, long time, and but now it's it's gone. It's in boat heaven and boat glory. Yeah, and I named my boat Visitation. <laughs> you know that, right? <laughs> Did you actually? I actually named my boat Visitation. So if anybody said, where's the preacher? They could just say, oh, he's out on Visitation. Oh, <laughs> that took me a second to get that. <laughs> USS Visitation. <laughs> you know, Gabe had a friend that is, it was his roommate. He named his deer stand The Word so that he could tell people he was going to get in The Word. <laughs> <laughs> I have to remember that one. Were you like stuck out on the lake? Like what happened when it died? I went to gun the engine and it just acted wild and just conked down and was struggling. And so I tried it again and then I knew something was wrong. But I had enough power and compression in the other chambers, the piston chambers, that I could just kind of push it back slowly, six or seven miles an hour, so at least I could get back. The guy I was with said, "Aren't you glad we weren't ten miles from the ramp? We were we were pretty close to the ramp, or that could have been, made it more interesting." But we got back. But yeah, the, the the guy who checked my boat, he said, "You need to call a preacher and get a funeral." I said, "Why?" He said, "Your boat's dead. Your engine's dead. It died." He was subtle. Yeah, no, he was not at all. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, just be in prayer for. Uh, your, your pastor, Pastor Chris, he's going through a hard time right now, but yeah. we're believing God's going to get him through it. <laughs> get another boat. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we are talking about um, just a cool and a really important to- topic today. Today, we want to talk to you about biblical covenants, biblical covenants. Um, you've probably heard this word before. You know, oftentimes we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then maybe you've heard somebody, a, a pastor or a friend or a small group leader or something say that you can kind of roughly translate testament into covenant. Um, or maybe when you've been talking about marriage, you've heard that marriage is a covenant. And so you hear this word covenant all of the time, but today we want to explore what exactly is a covenant? What does that have to do with the Bible? And what does that actually have to do with your everyday life? Because um, I think as we get into this conversation, you're going to realize that um, a covenant is not just um, just a Bible thing, just a sort of out there theological thing. But if you're saved, we're all in a covenant. So um, I think it's going to be really important. I'm excited about it. Hopefully what we can get the listeners to grasp today is that the concept of a covenant is the major theme throughout the entire Bible. I mean, you just mentioned you got the Old Testament or covenant, because they're the same words, and the New Testament or the New Covenant. So obviously the Bible's the Bible's chapters or divisions, I should say, use the word covenant. We just we're used to testament. But all through the scriptures, it's the central unifying theme, and, and it defines God's relationship to man in all the ages. So that's pretty significant. And I, and I think that leads us into the conversation. Let's just ask the question, what is a covenant? If, if, if a covenant is the unifying, the central theme of the Bible, I think we have to start out by answering, what is a covenant? So I'm going to go ahead and just warn you. Let me, let me give you the, the nerdy Bible definition or whatever, and then let's actually break it down into real English. Um, A biblical covenant is an agreement between God, who's the dominant party, and a person, the non-dominant party. A covenant is based on God's divine promises to the other party, and it's God who sets the terms. Covenants can contain both conditional and unconditional aspects, and God always upholds his covenant promises. Now, we're going to get into that in the whole 
podcast. We're going to break down everything that that means. But simply, simply put, a covenant is an agreement between God and a person, and it is based on God's promises. He initiates it. He makes the promises. We follow along. Right. And back in the Old Testament period, uh, covenants were very common. You would have a, a king, usually a city king, and then you would have who would be the superior, or, or as you said, the dominant one. And yeah. then you would have, say, a vassal who would be the inferior individual in relation to the king who would enter into an agreement. And so they would come into this covenant where the king would say, all of the armies, resources that I have are at your disposal. I will use them to protect you and keep you safe. And then you in turn will provide me whatever you have to give. And so they would enter into this relation, of course, but the vassal being inferior to the king. So it's very common. So in the Old Testament period, Every time a covenant was created by God with an individual, it wasn't a foreign concept, okay? So they would understand that. And so I think the things you said that are pretty significant, and we'll see this today, is that there's a promise made, and then there's faith in the promise, and then there's a confirmation of the covenant or the agreement, and that would happen with the king and the vassal. We're going to see that today as we talk about the covenants God made with individuals and the nation of Israel. Sometimes it's with person, sometimes with God is with an entire nation. I think that's definitely good viewing it in light of that. It's not a foreign concept, um, but something that was very common to that ancient Near Eastern practice that is called that suzerain vassal treaty, um, that dominant party, that lesser party, and that dominant party promises something and that lesser party promises their devotion and their loyalty. And um, we're going to see that all throughout Scripture. And I love that when we look at a biblical covenant, a covenant between God and maybe a person or a nation, it's God who always initiates the covenant. He's always the dominant one, right? He's he's setting the terms. He's telling you what's going on. He's always going to follow through in his promises. Now, he might set conditions for us to be able to get those covenant benefits, that he might ask us to do things. But whatever he promises, God's going to come through. He's going to follow through, um, which we're going to see is just so comforting and so important to our daily walk with God. But we've, we've, we've talked about what a covenant is, but why is the concept of a covenant so important in Scripture? You just touched on this at the very beginning in, in my personal opinion, I think we can see that the Bible, the, the main theme of the Bible is the kingdom of God or the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus came and he was preaching the message of the kingdom. He said, um, repent and believe for the king, excuse me, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so God's initiating this kingdom, but we see him do it through covenants. So we see this sort of concept of kingdom through covenant all throughout the scripture that God is furthering his plan to save us and to bring his kingdom through these covenants. And so as we trace the several different covenants all throughout the Bible, we're seeing how God is is working his redemption and his salvation plan for us in bringing this, this new kingdom, this kingdom of heaven to the earth. Yes, and he is the king. We talked about the suzerain treaties and covenants from the from the ancient uh, times uh, in, the, in the in the eastern area um, he's the king I mean he's the king of kings and yeah. the Lord of Lords so the image is perfect the, the correlation uh, is perfect and by the way I just want to mention this uh, it's kind of a minor trivial thing but th- this this concept of covenant um, is not just something that God borrowed from the ancient East, this this is something that God, we have to say man borrowed this from God. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because we go all the way back to the beginning, you know, covenants and agreements, God's made agreements with man. And so th- this is something that is out of the nature of God. Um, and how I know this is because God's names always reveal his nature, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So he, one of the dominant names in the Bible is Jehovah or sometimes referred to as Yahweh. Yeah. And Yahweh, or Jehovah, is the covenant name of God. And this is 
who God revealed himself to be in the burning bush, yeah. right? I am who I am. I am who I am. And out of that, he, he realized, you know, Moses realized, but that's the name that always refers to the covenant nature of God, that he is a God of covenant. He goes into, a, he wants to be in agreement with man. And that's who he is, not who he became. Yeah, or what he does. Yeah, what he does is out of who he is. So as we see that God is the covenant God, he has his covenant faithfulness, he is Yahweh or Jehovah, we need to take a look at the several different covenants that we see throughout the Bible that establishes God's plan to save all of us. And so we can look at a few major covenants, and we're going to look at those today. We're going to look at um, the Noahic covenant with Noah, um, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. Excuse me, the new covenant. We're going to trace those major covenants um, and see how they all tie together for God's saving work for us. So let's go ahead and start with the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. So what's going on is humanity has fallen into sin. Adam and Eve, um, they partook of the, the fruit of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin has entered the world, and it's corrupted humanity's nature. And so we see humanity becoming just more and more depraved. The Bible says that every single th- like thought that they thought was evil continually, all the time, and God actually it says that he regretted making us. He, he regretted um, creating us because he saw what happened through sin. So he sent this flood throughout the earth to judge the earth. But there was a problem. There was one man named Noah. And I mean, I say it's a problem, but I don't really mean that. There, he, God didn't wipe out everybody because Noah was righteous. And so God, because he's just and he's not going to kill a righteous man— he kept Noah alive, and so that's where he directed him to build that ark. And so after um, Noah survived the flood, all of the world is wiped out except for Noah and his family. God establishes this covenant with Noah, and that's really to all humanity. And he says, never again am I going to flood the earth and wipe out the earth. Why is that covenant significant to us where God promises he's never again going to wipe out the earth with water, with a flood? Well, the Noahic Covenant is pretty significant, and let me just say this before we get to answer that question. First of all, this is the first time in the Bible that the word covenant is used, and I'm going to read it to you, Genesis 6, 18. God um, said, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives, with you. So this is the first time. Um, now, I know we didn't talk about the creation, and you and I had a pre podcast discussion about this, that there are some people that argue there's a, an, uh, an Adamic covenant, a covenant with Adam. You know, some say, well, that's really a covenant. They say Adam, but it's a covenant with creation, mankind, the creation covenant. So we won't get into all that today. But God really entered into a covenant with man. So you go back to your kingdom concept. I know we jumped here, but God told Adam, take dominion over the earth, multiply and fill the earth. So there was a there was a command there. There's an agreement. God stamped the image on Adam, so it's just that representation as God's servants or his vice regents would be the word. There you go. Representing the king. Right. He's the vassal. God's the king. So there you go. Then man sins. Okay. You, you, you have a line of people that... Um, the, the sons of Seth who were trying to live for God, but there's now a dichotomy, a division where you've got people that are that are no longer agreeing to the covenant. Okay, they're they're breaking the covenant. They're moving out of the covenant of God. Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter before the Lord, most scholars think that he was hunting men. That's something a lot of people don't realize is that he was a he was a hunter. You know, was a mighty he was a hunter of men. We see the Tower of Babel. God commanded humanity to to spread out through the earth. And, and take dominion, well, we, we see all of humanity coming into one city, packing in together and trying to make a great name for themselves rather than obeying God's command to spread the earth. Right, and of course, that's post—I you know, know we're getting ahead again. That's yeah, post-Noah, yeah. but but it's just the, the, the thing is, the, the, the point is a dichotomy forms. Yeah. There are those who—it starts with Cain and Abel. So, so that's what we're, we're talking about. Now you got people serving the Lord, not serving the Lord. People staying with this covenant, created covenant, not serving the Okay. So, so before we get to there, now you get to Noah. Okay, it reached the point. This is the thing. It reached the point where entire humanity has basically pulled away from the, this creative covenant with God. And they say, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We want sin. We want to live in a rebellion against you. 
And so the covenant is essentially broken because humanity has broken it, all but one. Now, you know, that's the that's the point. There is a redemptive quality to every covenant that we're going to talk about. There is a picture of redemption in every one we're going to see today. And so here's the redemptive aspect is there's one man who, and it says, but Noah walked with God, which the antithesis is everybody else didn't. And so God makes a promise to him, okay? And the promise is, I'm going to save you and your family. And then Noah believes it. So there's that second element faith. of faith. And then he puts some works with his faith, That's and he good. builds an ark. That's good. Okay, so God's going to save him, but he has to do his part. And then uh, God— The works are evidence of his faith. Right, yeah. and then God confirms the covenant, which he says here, I'll make a covenant with you. And so then he saves him and redeems him. And, of course, that ark is a symbol of salvation, of God bring, bringing redemption— to the righteous, to, to his righteous people who choose to walk with him and stay in covenant with Noah and his family were the only humans who said we will stay in covenant with God, covenant relationship with God. That's a very critical image there, and we see I mean, ultimately this, and everything today is going to go back to Jesus. So obviously, Jesus is the ark. You know, Jesus is the one who saves us. Was it was it uh, Peter who associated the flood with baptism? He related it as a type yeah, later on. Right, because Noah was in a great water. And the water purified the earth of sin. But but out of the baptism, it was an expression that Noah was the one that was redeemed yeah. or, or kept safe or delivered. So it's a powerful, powerful image um, you know, with Noah and what happens there. And I think that, that covenant that God makes and says, never again will I flood the earth. I think when we look at redemption as a whole, what that says to humanity is that God is now committed after destroying the whole earth, but still saving that one man. God is now committed to redeeming humanity, not just wiping out humanity. And so he's basically saying, I'm not going to do this again. Here's my sign. Here's the rainbow. God gives us the rainbow as sort of that sign and that remembrance of his promise to us. And so now we can hold fast for the rest of the scripture that God is working out this plan to redeem humanity, that he's going to be with us and work that salvation out. Right, and it doesn't mean that God's no longer a God of judgment. No, the, 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 he still is. Here's the thing about that promise. He just said, I won't wipe out, I won't wipe out humanity with water. Yeah. But the next time it's with fire. Yep. When we get to Revelation and everything will be destroyed with fire, and so the earth will be destroyed not with a flood but with fire. And then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Yeah. So he's still the God of, of judgment because he has to be, but he's also the God of redemption. Well, let's move on to the next covenant. And this is this covenant, which is the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham. This is one of the most significant covenants throughout all of Scripture. Um, it at, at this covenant is what everything else begins to build on top of. Um, Abraham is the father of faith. He is the father of, of all of the Jewish people. Um, this is a significant covenant when we look at um, just the, the rest of the redemption story. We can see it play out in sort of three different parts, Genesis 12, 15, and 17. We're just going to sort of talk about it as a whole and really um, focus in on Genesis 15 because it's where we get the, the cutting of the covenant. Um, as you would say, we get this, this, the sign of, a, of the covenant that God is initiating with Abraham. So what's going on is Abraham is this random guy. He's probably a pagan worshiping some other gods in Ur of the Chaldeans. Is that how you say that? I don't even know how to pronounce that. I always say Chaldeans. Chaldeans. Modern-day modern Iraq. You just choose whatever you like. <laughs> um, he's roaming around there, and God just shows up to him and basically promises him that I'm going to give you um, many, many descendants. I'm going to take you into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that is in Canaan, and he promises that his descendants, his family, would be a blessing to every nation and every family on the earth. And so this is kind of wild to Abraham and Sarah because they're very old at this point. Um, they, they are beyond childbearing years. If this is going to happen, God absolutely has to make it happen. A miracle has to occur for Abraham and Sarah to have this 
child. And so as we begin to look at this covenant, there, there are two major things that we can focus on. One is how this covenant fits in with all of uh, the, the redemptive plan. And two, we can see something just very important about the nature of covenants through what happens in Genesis 15. But as we look at, at, at the, the content of this covenant, there are three major things that contribute to redemption history. God promised the land of Canaan, which is a land flowing with milk and honey. He promised Abraham many descendants, and then he promised that his offspring would bless every nation and family on the earth. Um, just going through it real quickly, when we look at the Bible, we see different things that are types, right? They're pictures of a truer spiritual reality in the future. And so as God promises Abraham that he's going to give them the land of Canaan, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You can almost kind of think of like it's a brand new Eden almost, right? A fruitful land, a land with plenty um, of just resources that God is going to provide. Well, when we look at it through all of Scripture, through the lens of the New Testament, we now see that this is fulfilled in Christ through our spiritual rest, through God's spiritual provision, God's spiritual life through this land of Canaan. We can see that he's going to give him many descendants. God is going to create a people, a people all over the earth that worship him. And then finally says that his offspring is going to bless every nation and every family on the earth, which shows that God's salvation plan is not just limited to Abraham's descendants, but in fact, God wants to bless everybody even the, Gentile, the Gentiles, his salvation is worldwide. And ultimately, we know of one offspring of Abraham named Jesus Christ, who through his sacrifice and, and through his resurrection does bless every nation and every family on the earth. Through this covenant, there are actually two branches. So there's the promise of the land and the promise of the natural seed, which was Isaac. So he's an old man. As Sarah's old. They can't, they're beyond childbearing years. It's a biological impossibility. And so it takes a miracle. And so they have this son, Isaac. So that's the promise. And then, of course, from Isaac will come Jacob and then the 12 sons of Jacob and then eventually the nation of Israel. That's one branch. The other branch is a spiritual branch. So you have a natural branch and a spiritual branch. And the spiritual branch is where Abraham is the father of faith. And so the people who have faith and believe, and then you have that redemptive. So if you see again, there's a natural side and there's a redemptive side. Okay, and so the redemptive side is where there's going to be the sons and daughters of Abraham, people of faith who are going to put their trust in God for redemption. And as you already stated, from Abraham, the seed of Abraham, you go all the way down to reach Jesus Christ, who who was the Son of God, but came uh, as a man and and was a Jewish man. So he was a son of Abraham, and so he he is part of that seed of Abraham, and he, and through him, so you know how how was all the nations blessed? It was through Jesus Christ who is the seed of Abraham in the flesh. And so that, that's that's really, really important that you see that and, and that two branch, that branch was eventually transferred to Jesus, yeah. who, who created a new covenant in his blood. And and so the, the Abrahamic covenant, you're right, is is so critical because— It's foundational. It's foundational because um, uh, it, 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 the, 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 the images of redemption is in it is so clean and clear— and, which I guess we're going to talk about right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, we want to talk about kind of that that major how that uh, reflects all of redemption, but we want to look at the actual covenant aspect. That's what we're talking about today is covenants. And so in Genesis 15, we see um, an, an incredibly important part of this covenant. So God shows back up to Abraham. He's already talked to him in Genesis chapter 12. Now we're in 15. He shows up to Abraham. And he begins telling him of his promise, again, to bring him into the land of Canaan. I'm going to give you descendants. And so Abraham is, at, is struggling with this a little bit. But finally, it says that Abraham responds in faith, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. This is one of the key scriptures of the Bible. It's, it's stated in the Old Testament, quoted in the New Testament. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him or imputed to him or reckoned to him. For righteousness. Exactly. And it gets back to what I said earlier. You'll see the three parts here. A promise was made. Yep. Okay, I'm going to give you the land of Israel. I'm going to give you a child in your old age and ultimately de natural descendants, which becomes the nation of Israel. And I'm going to give you spiritual seed, which ultimately leads to the body of Christ, the church of the living God. So you have a promise made. 
faith was necessary in the covenant. So Abraham believed God, and it was credited him for righteousness. And then there was a confirmation of the covenant. Yeah, that's what we're about to talk to is this confirmation. Which happens in chapter 15. We hope that you're enjoying this discussion so far on covenants. And if you find that this this topic really interests you and you want to go a little bit deeper, I want to recommend just a couple of resources that will help you grow in your understanding of covenants. One of those is a book called Covenant Marriage by Gary Chapman. This is a classic when it comes to marriage. And I know you're saying, well, why would I read this book? Isn't it about marriage? Well, yeah, it is. But this book will give you a foundation of what a covenant is, and it'll give you a foundation for marriage with a covenant aspect. So you kind of knock out two birds with one stone here. You get to learn how to have a healthy marriage, and at the same time, you get a foundation laid for biblical covenants. Two, in the show notes, we're going to attach a link to the Bible Project, and the Bible Project has a page specifically devoted to covenants. If you've never checked out the Bible Project, they're a nonprofit organization, and they are amazing. They make articles, they make videos on books of the Bible, on topics about the Bible. They have just uh, an incredible artistic gift. I'm telling you, the Bible Project is an excellent resource for all things the Bible. So if you want to hit that link in our description, it'll take you to a page by the Bible Project that's all about covenants. On that page, there's a link to a video in which they break down with fantastic audio and artwork, what a covenant is, and the different covenants in the Bible. And on that page, there's plenty of reading as well. This page and this video are incredibly accessible, easy to understand, super, super helpful, and you can go ahead and click to the main page of the Bible Project and explore all the amazing resources that they have for you. And so Abraham responds in that faith. God knows Abraham is on board. He's believing me. Now, Abraham has faith. So now what, what is he asking God? He asked God, Lord, how am I going to know? Confirmation, Confirmation of the Confirmation of the covenant. Lord, I, I'm believing you. I'm trusting you. That faith is there. The Lord already counted to him as righteousness. But how do I know? And that's where God goes through this, this covenant confirmation. And so what he does is, I've got it written down. So basically what he does is he gets um, a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he cuts them in half except for the birds. And he puts them on either side. And so he's sacrificed them now. And so then God sends Abraham into a deep sleep, like a dark terror. And then Abraham sees God manifest himself as a smoking fire pot and a burning torch. And so in this ancient Near Eastern context, the idea of, of cutting a covenant, and, and so if it was between humans, right, we talked about that king and, and, and you know, the vassal, it was, in a sense, it could be two equal parties, it could be maybe even between family members. And so those members would walk through the animals, and what they're saying is, do this to me if I break my promise of the covenant. Cut me in half and kill me. Well, what God is doing here is Abraham didn't initiate the covenant, and Abraham's not walking through the, the animals, only God is. And God is making a confirmation and a promise to Abraham saying, do so to me, cut me in half, slay me if I don't uphold my promises. And yet we, what we know about the nature of God is he can't lie, he can't die, he can't change, he, he, he is not going to go back on his promises. So as God walks through this, he's saying, I'm going to follow through, and it is literally impossible for God not to follow through on his promises to Abraham, because God simply can't die. And, and he's faithful. He cannot not be you know, faithless. He has to be yes. faith. cannot not be faithful. He's, yeah. He has to be faithful. The symbolism in this is so powerful, and so I hope you're going to get this today. So here's the symbolism as it relates to redemption, because the story of Jesus and redemption is so impacted into this event. So here it is. So God's entering into a covenant with Abraham, an agreement, okay? It's a redemptive covenant because Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So it's a redemptive covenant. Now we get interested as people who are Christians. 
born-again believers, all right? God, he cuts the animals, offers a sacrifice, gets into this deep sleep of terror. The sleep is the representative of death. I mean, we're like, we're we're dead. Paul said, and you, he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The terror of sin is the, is the terror that we have standing before a holy God, and we know that we are in judgment. So that's the condition of Abraham, representative of a sinner, okay? Prior to him going into the sleep, there's a part you missed. These vultures came and tried to take away the, the, the animals, and Abraham had to run them off. And in, when you're, you're coming to Christ, uh, if God is dealing with you and you're hearing the salvation message, there is an enemy of our soul, the, the devil, who tries to keep you from that because he's your king, he's your slave master. He doesn't want you to come to Christ and be saved. And so you have to fight those influences. So Abraham's getting rid. Anyway, that's another thing. And so Abraham goes into this deep sleep. God comes down, as you already stated, the only person who can who can come. You don't get saved on your own initiative. You get saved on God's initiative. People say, I'm going to get saved when I'm good and ready. No, you'll get saved when God's good and ready. Yeah. And so if he comes to you, convicts you, deals with you, that's your moment. You have to, when God comes to you. The and Spirit awakens you. You got to respond. You got to respond. And so the, the, God comes down and he walks through the covenant. Abraham doesn't walk through the covenant. God's the only one who can redeem us. God, see, that's where, where you say it, it can't be an equal. I can't save myself. I can't help God save myself. And so God has to save me. So Abraham's out. And God walks through and makes this covenant with us, the redemptive covenant. I have nothing to do with it, just as I am, without one plea. And so... The image of the pot, the the smoking pot or a censer, and then the flaming torch. Some have said that that's representative of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, so it represents the presence of God, which could be one thing. I like this thought. Um, the, the, The torch, always in the Bible, fire represents the judgment of God. So you have God coming through as a torch and as a smoke. Well, and eventually we see in the temple, the priest would have a censer that they would burn incense and it would be a flaming pot, okay? And so what I think is that you have a picture of God, but you have two things. It's a it's a dichotomy. You have the judgment of God, but then as just as a priest would carry the burning censer and a priest is all about redemption and intercession and standing in the gap, you have God coming in a priestly force. You have him as God's the judge, God the priest, and he's coming through in the covenant saying, yes, I'm the God of judgment on your sin, but I'm also the God, the priest, the high priest of redemption. Jesus is our high priest to redeem us. And and so then God comes through. What a powerful image you're seeing of redemption through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the sacrifice. The, the, The sacrifice, the covenant requires blood. And so in the new covenant, Jesus goes to the cross and he's our sacrifice. That's good. And the go between between God and man. The imagery is unbelievable here. And I, and I would say to, to take a short stop there and go, okay, this has been cool. What does this have to do with me? We'll, we'll put those together. This covenant with Abraham is, is God initiating his redemption, like you just talked about. And it is God proving that he is going to follow through on his promises. And so we can stand in this comfort, in this assurance, in this hope that, I mean, all his promises are yes and amen. And so all the promises that we see now as New Testament believers that Jesus has promised us, that if you just have faith, he'll forgive you of your sins, past, present, and future, that he is uh, renewing you in the knowledge of the image of his creator, that he wants to make you like him, that one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to wipe away every tear. Every promise that we have from God, God is going, "If, if I've said it, I will do it. And so you might be in a period of struggling right now. You might be in a, in a period of, 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 of struggling to maybe break through from a bad habit, and you're going, God, are you ever going to break me free from this? Or you're, you, we know that God's promised us he's going to be with us to the end of the age, but you're going, Lord, I, I really don't know if your presence is here right now. If God has said it, he will do it. End of story. And we see that through these covenant promises. That's the character of God. The very nature of a covenant the, the Hebrew words that are used for covenant, there's several. They can mean several things. One of them means a cutting, and we see that here where Abraham had to cut the animals in half. So there's a cut, but there's another word, and it's called it's binding. And so there's a binding. You're you're bound to one another, yeah. and this is so important. And that's why this concept of covenant. If you're going to talk about my relationship with God, do you have a relationship with God? Yeah, I have a relationship with God, 
All right, this is the kind of relationship God says we're going to have. I'm going to bind myself to you. I want you to bind yourself to me. I'm going to be fully committed to you. I'm asking you to be fully committed to me. So it isn't this loose kind of God and I have an understanding. Ever heard people say that? <laughs> well, I, yeah, how's your relationship? Well, God and I have this understanding. Yeah. We have this agreement as almost as if you've set the terms. You don't set the terms. God sets the terms. Yep. And he says, I either want you all in or all out. That's good. Because I'm all in. And, and so in a covenant, you have to say, well, I'm all in too. Because it's not two equal parties. Remember, God is the dominant. He's you are superior. the lesser. Yeah. Right. He's the creator. We're the creation. He's the father. We're the children. Well, let's go on and let's quickly, let's go through the next two covenants, um, the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant. So the Mosaic covenant, um, that that's the covenant that God made with his people at Mount Sinai, that after he's um, led them out of Egyptian captivity through Moses, um, he makes this covenant with his people. And so I, I think it's important to point out that now that we've talked about this Abrahamic covenant, what God is doing is he's sort of building on this foundation of, of what he said he was going to do in this Abrahamic covenant. He hasn't tossed it out the door. He hasn't erased it. He's actually building on top of it. And so what, what do we see? God's promised Abraham that he's going to make a great nation out of him. What do we see? That after like 400 years in Egyptian captivity, they're not 12 children anymore. They're millions of people. They're a great nation, sort of. But God's got to lead them out to be on their own and to truly be this great nation, to lead them into this land that he has promised them, Canaan, and to make them into a nation that's going to bless the world. And so as we get to Moses, we already see God um, being faithful to what he said that he is going to do. So it's a continuing of what he has already promised Abraham that he's going to do. So God leads them out of Egypt and he shows up at Mount Sinai. And this is where God establishes his covenant with his, his people Israel as a nation. And what, we're, what a lot of us are familiar with is just the Ten Commandments. But before that, the Ten Commandments happened in Exodus 20. God establishes his covenant with his people in Exodus 19, right before giving them this covenant. And I think a misunderstanding that a lot of us have about the law, which is you know what you can call it in short, um, especially as we live in the New Testament, is a lot of times we say, well, it was a covenant of works. You got to work for it. You got to work to... Um, impress God or, you know, work to get your forgiveness with God. But I think it goes back to that covenant we've been talking about is the suzerain vassal way to look at it, that God is establishing, um, he's the dominant party, he's establishing his promises, and he's asking for obedience. And so we see that here, that the the nature of these treaties is that the, the dominant party, the king, would tell you the good thing he's done for you and the good thing he's going to do for you and then ask for loyalty and obedience on top of that. And so, and so watch what he says here, Exodus 19. I put Genesis 19 on my paper. Exodus 19, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall t say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a, a, king, a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." So what's the point? That Israel hasn't done anything to impress God and to receive their relationship with him and get him. What does God do out of his grace? He saves them first. And then he says, now that I've, now that I've saved you because of my love, because of my grace, I'm asking for obedience in response. Which is the nature of covenant. I mean, that's always been how it's been with God. When Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, uh, he provided Skins and covering and to maintain the relationship, okay? And then there was a decision by mankind from that point on, are you going to stay in covenant relationship with me or are you going to break it? Now we see it not with humanity but with a particular group of humanity called Israel. And Israel was supposed to be the model 
Israel was supposed to serve as the paradigm. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. To the nations around them. So why the promised land? God put them in the end of the promised land and wanted them to be in a covenant relationship with him, which had a redemptive quality to it, thus the sacrificial systems. When you sin, offer a sacrifice. Let's take keep your sin problem out of this. I want to make you a kingdom of priests, an intercessor. A holy nation. And a holy nation. I want you to help just as a priest helps bring God and man together as an intercessor, as a go-between. I want you now to be the go-between between the, the nations around you that are out of covenant with me and humanity to me, bring them together. That was the plan, okay? That was the goal. As we know, they failed. Now, within the nation, you have, as you stated, millions of people. So here's what happened. It would have been great if they could have done this as a nation, but ultimately what happened, just like what happened in humanity, happened within Israel. You had people who did stay in the covenant and some who didn't. And you had some who stayed in the covenant uh, out of a redemptive aspect. Well, you know, that's the only way they could stay in it. But they did it to stay in that relationship with God, to walk with God, to have that, that proper relationship. The other people didn't. They went to sin. But because they're part of the nation, they're part of a system, so what they did is they watered down the system. And so they took the system and said, well, I want to stay. I'm Jewish. I'm part of the nation of Israel. Uh, I want to be part of the system. So they went through the motions. And so they turned the, 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 the relationship with God into a covenant of works. Yeah. It wasn't a covenant of works, it, but they turned it into one. And that's why when you get in the New Testament, by then, the Pharisees, it becomes so legalistic, and they said the only way you're right with God is you got to do all these things. Well, God never said that. God said, I bring you into a relationship with me, and then I want you to obey me because that's how we're going to stay in relationship for you to get the benefits. You, you made a, a, a statement earlier, Evan, about that some of the covenants were conditional, some were unconditional. I think we need to say today say to the, the covenants of God are unconditional. Yeah, I meant what I meant is there were conditional aspects. aspects. That not that they were some were conditional, unconditional. There are conditional aspects. Well, back no, and what you were saying, you were right in yeah. in the in the human terms with that suzerain kind of relationship with a king and a vassal. There were sometimes conditions. So you were correct. I, I wasn't saying you were, yeah, but yeah. what I'm saying with but with God, in which we're in agreement with with God, it's unconditional. Okay, but there are conditions on our end that God asks of us. But the point is, that's very. if you can get this today, the covenant with God is unconditional in that God doesn't say, if you don't meet this these conditions, I'm, it's over, I'm out. Yeah. See, it's not conditional in that sense, but there are conditions that God says on our end. He said, I'm going to keep my end. But there are stipulations, and maybe that's a better word. Of course, Jesus calls them commands, that I want, that I ask of you, that this is how we can keep this covenant. These are the things I'm wanting from you. You're going to get things from me. But what I want from you is I want your loyalty, your love, your service, your obedience. And that's when, how you get the benefits of the covenant. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and what was true then is still true today under this walk with Jesus Christ that we have. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah. Okay, but, but when I'm saved, God doesn't ditch me. It, if I fail him, because we all fail, he says, I'm faithful, I'm going to stay here, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay in relationship with me and walk with me. And so, yeah, they, they, they messed it up. They, they turned it into a, into a relationship with works, but it was so they could stay in their sins but keep this form of religion. And there may be somebody listening right now that you're a very religious person, but you're not a spiritual person because you're not truly in relationship with God. You, you do all the religious things, but you sin, and you know you sin. I mean, we don't have to sit here on these microphones and start making a list. You know you can make your own list. Yeah. Okay, that's not relationship with God. The relationship with God is I'm redeemed. He changes me. He transforms me. I'm renewed in the image of God. I'm born again, and now I serve him. I, right, response. I serve him, and I obey him because I love him. Because I'm in relation, not out of some duty or obligation, but because I love him. I just want to please him. I don't want to disappoint him. This is a phrase that's always helped me. We never work for life. We always work from life. Yeah. We always work from life, never for it. You can never work for life with God. 
but you do work from life. And so as God saves you, that's your proper response. And what God is asking his people in this covenant is, do you want to show your love for me? Just like Jesus said, obey my commandments. That's how I know that you love me. That's how I know you have faith in me and who I am and your love for me. Well, real quickly, let's go over the Davidic covenant real quick, and then we're hopping right into the new covenant. We're going to tie it all together. This last covenant that we're going to go through real quick is the covenant that God made with King David. And this is really foundational for the New Testament and understanding who Jesus is. So God delivers his people, Israel, makes them into a nation. He brings them into the promised land, and then he gives them a king because the people ask for a king. Well, their first king, Saul, he he didn't obey the commands of God. He didn't truly love God as evidenced by his commands. So God appoints a new king named King David. And a lot of you know, God said that King David is a man after God's own heart. He's a man after my own heart. He um, he loves me. He wants to obey me. And so King David does that. He walks in relationship with God. We know King David was the one who took down Goliath. He, he fought many battles. So King David is in Jerusalem. He's got this big mansion that he's built for himself. There's general peace in the land. David has led them into righteousness and to serving God. Whatever the king does, the people follow. So if the king is righteous, the people are righteous. And so David is, is sitting there and he's going, I've built this big mansion for myself, but God, his presence still dwells in a tent, the same tent that he used in, you know, while they were going out of Egypt um, and moving into the promised land. He says, I want to build him a house. Well, um, through the prophet Nathan, God shows up and basically says, hey, um, I don't want you to build me a house. In fact, I'm going to build you a house. He says, I'm going to bring you rest from all of your enemies. I'm going to have you seated and your people seated in one place with peace, and I'm going to put a king on your throne forever. And so this is just crazy. And for the people, this sounds great because David's a great king. He's a righteous king, a man after God's own heart. So if his sons are anything like him— Israel's in a good spot. God has promised this king to lead his people. Well, as we look at Israel's history, things start to go south. Right after this, David sins. He becomes a murderer. He becomes a rapist. He's an adulterer. His kids follow suit, and they just go crazy. He almost loses the kingdom. His son Solomon, who takes over the wisest man to ever live, and yet he marries hundreds of wives and starts to serve their gods, which are false gods. And as we see people down the line, the kings down the line go more and more sinful, so much so that God breaks apart the kingdom into Israel and Judah, and they fall deeper and deeper into sin. And this whole time in Judah, there's a king from the line of David ruling and reigning until finally Israel and Judah get so sinful, God sends them into exile, and there's no king on the throne. The Babylonian captivity. And if God is faithful to his promises that he was going to put a king on the throne of David forever, and now for like 400 years, there's no king, what are we going to do? Is God a liar or is he faithful to his word? And if you go back and look, there's that dichotomy again, where he starts with David, kind of like he started with Adam, kind of like he started with Noah. He started all over with Noah. But then as, as humanity blossomed and mankind multiplied, some served God, some stayed in covenant, some did. Same thing with David's sons. If you read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and you read the stories of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel kind of went into that vein where every one of them didn't walk. And there were some that flip flop back and forth. Every now and then you'd have a good king, but then the next one would right. go right back. And that was usually the kings of Judah. Yeah. You'd have kings like Hezekiah or Jehoshaphat who would who would serve God, and then you'd have a king come along who didn't. But then the next his son would, and so some stayed in covenant, some didn't. Various degrees. So it, you can see that correlation. But God remained faithful. How did he remain faithful? Because he rem- he was in covenant. He made a covenant, and that he made that promise, and God will keep the promise. But but he said there are things that you've got to do to make this work. Okay. Well, some of the, his heritage lineage did. Some of them didn't. Eventually, they go into the captivity. There is no nation of Israel anymore. But the covenant is not 
broken. But the covenant is not broken. And so they come back out of Babylonian captivity, like you said, 400 years, the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years of silence. Okay? There is no king. Did God break his covenant? Nope. In a little town called Bethlehem, one night with a bright star shining in the sky, another king showed up of the lineage of David. Matthew 1.1 says the genealogy of the son of David, the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Ties it all together right there in that one verse. Jesus Christ shows up, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Magi came and said, where is the king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When they hung him on a cross, Pilate put the king of the Jews. Put a crown of thorns on his head. Had a crown on his head and and, uh, hung him up and suspended him between heaven and earth. But he was the king. And so now, because he is the son of God, just because he died doesn't mean that it's happened again. He rose three days later. And the king, the the, the covenant has been kept and ultimately fulfilled through the lineage of David, through Jesus Christ, who now is alive and well as the king of kings. And one day he will reign forever and ever. In the new Jerusalem where King David reigned. Exactly. Absolutely beautiful. We see God tying that all together. And as we've gotten to this point, let's talk about it, the new covenant. How does all of this work together, what we just talked about? Well, you got to go to this one key verse, and that is in Jeremiah. And I don't know if our readers are familiar with this or not, but you go to Jeremiah chapter 31, and God gives this incredible revelation to Jeremiah the prophet. He makes this statement, and I'm going to read it. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. By the way, that word Lord is Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of covenant. Whenever you see that in all caps in your Bible, that's what it's trying to convey is Yahweh, Jehovah. So the God of covenant is saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So that Mosaic covenant... It's, it's going to be better. To go to the book of Hebrews, it's all about better, better. All right? Uh, my covenant that they broke, see, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And so here's a promise of a new covenant. And this new covenant can only be the covenant that we now call the new covenant or the New Testament that is found in Jesus Christ. So there there is the Old Testament bridge that takes us from the Old Testament or the Old Covenant to the new covenant that's found in in Jesus Christ and through redemption and through salvation, through his blood and through the sacrifice that he offered. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at the ministry of Jesus and who he is, and as we look at this new covenant, let's talk about how does it how does it fulfill some of those promises from the Old Testament, but also how is it so much better, as the book of Hebrews talks about, than the Old Testament? I would start out, we, we talked about Abraham Um, We can kind of go through those again. He promised to bring us into a land of rest and a land of peace and, and, you know, supply. Well, now we've got spiritual life in God. We are at peace with God, and we look to a day when Jesus comes back, as he's promised, to bring us into a new heavens and a new earth, a new place of rest. We see that God has created a people for himself, not just a physical people. We see all kinds of sons of Abraham that they're not just physical descendants, but they're sons of Abraham by faith in God. And finally, we see that his people, his offspring would be a blessing to the nations. Well, Jesus Christ, through his salvation, through his gospel, is, is a blessing to everybody. Whosoever believes on him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And in turn, since we are followers of Christ, we're called to be a blessing to the nations as well. I think you wrapped it up, and I just want to say one thing. I mean, you've done so well there. I don't have anything to add other than so that people can maybe just have a a scriptural basis because here we're talking about a new covenant, but you say, well, you know, are you guys making this up? No. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
okay, and he instituted the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion. When he got to the the cup of the vine, the 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 the, the wine, uh, he said, "Take and drink this." And of course, there's a symbolism there. The bread was his body. The, the, the wine was his symbolic of his blood that he would shed, his broken body, his blood that would shed the next day, <laughs> less than 24 hours from that, from that night. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant or the covenant which is in my blood, which is shed for many. And so Jesus that night declared and established the new covenant. It was the fulfillment. The next day was the fulfillment of J- Jeremiah, that prophecy came to pass that day and has been coming to pass now for 2000 years where now through this redemption God is not on the outside working on people but he is now on the inside working in us living in us it is a whole new era it is a whole new paradigm a whole new uh concept where externally I'm relating with God now, when I get saved, the sin goes out, and Jesus comes in through God's Holy Spirit, and everywhere I go, I am the tabernacle. I am the dwelling place of God, living in this relationship covenant. I don't have to go to a tabernacle or church to meet with God. He's living inside of me. Yeah. What a, there's no co- That's why this is the better covenant, because yeah. no other covenant could— pro- As a matter of fact, I think within the new covenant, through Jesus, all the other covenants— all whatever benefits are there are combined and enhanced. Made way better. Way better, as we'd say. Uh, there's one more thing that I want to talk about here that I think may wrap all this up for everybody, but I'm doing a series on marriage, and I'm going to talk about the marriage covenant. And we haven't talked about that, but I think it's something that if you're listening and you're married or you're single and you want to get married, um, you have to understand that marriage is a covenant. And so many people think it's a contract, but it's not. It's a covenant. And I want to use that. I'm not going to go into all that today, but I want to talk about this. And I do this in every wedding. I have a wedding this weekend, and I will talk about this in this wedding. You did it with mine. I, I did when, yeah, when when you and Elizabeth got married. Um, marriage is not a contract; it's a covenant. And he, here's how a covenant works: a, uh, a covenant says, "I'm going to give everything that I have and all that I am to you," and I enter into this agreement with your best interest in mind. Whether you fulfill my needs or not, I'm going in to fulfill your needs. I'm going in for your well-being, okay? A husband should do that with his brand-new wife, and a wife should do that with her brand-new husband. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if I go in saying I'm going to meet my spouse's needs, I'm going to bless her, whether or not she gives me anything is irrelevant. I'm going into this fully committed to just every day of my life. I'm going to. Well, if she'll do that to me, we're both of our needs will be met and we'll have the happiest marriage on earth, but it will be selfless. Yeah. It's not me going in saying, as long as you meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. And that's what a lot of people do in marriage. And then that's why the divorce rate is as high as it is. The, the How you go in is you say, it's all about you. Because that's what God has said. God's coming in saying, it's not all about me. I'm coming in this relationship. It's all about you. I want to love you, redeem you, bless you do all these wonderful things in your life. I want to I want to take you eventually to heaven, glorify you and change you and make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and let you rule and reign with me. And when I come back to rule the earth, there's all these blessings. I'm all in it for you. And all he's asking is, will you return that and go all in for me? And that's the nature of covenant. If you go all the way back to Abraham and Moses with the nation of Israel and David, every covenant that, that's ever been, it's about I'm all in and it's all about you. And so uh, if somebody's getting married or you're married today, say if you're having marital trouble and you're saying, well, my, my wife, my husband just doesn't meet my needs. Well, are you meeting their needs? Because maybe if you'll stop focusing on your needs and say, all this week, every day, all I'm going to do is just bless my spouse. That's all I'm going to do. I don't care what they do for me. I'm going to just Bless my spouse. I'm going to find out. I'm going to listen to her or to him. I'm going to find out what they need. I'm going to I'm going to talk with them and communicate and do what I can to bless them for their well-being. What you may find is your spouse's attitude will totally change towards you. And as you're blessing them, their heart will soften. Maybe things have gotten a little rough. And they'll begin to say, you know what? I've got the greatest husband or wife. They're really meeting my needs. 
and that's going to open their spirit to you. They'll, they'll do the same to you, and your marriage will become a marriage that feels like made in heaven. And so that may help them. And then there's five things I want to talk about. Um, covenant is initiated for the benefit of the other person. So, I mean, I already talked about that. That's what you have to do. It's it's for the benefit of the other person. It's what God's done for us. It's God done for us, uh, what God has done for us. Uh, people make unconditional promises. Those vows that we make are are supposed to be unconditional, that, that we, you know, till death do us part and all those kind of things. The vows, will you have this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and sickness and health. You, you're, you're making these... Um, these promises that says I'm gonna I'm gonna be there for you, whether or not you're there for me. Okay. Third, it's based on a steadfast love, and everything that God did, whether it was from the beginning when He created Adam and creation, to the, the the relationship with Abraham, to David, to the the people. You know, He told Israel. He said, "The only reason I am calling you. Why didn't God call? In, why didn't He call the Egyptians?" Just love. It was yeah. just grace. Or the Sumerians of that day or the Philistines or something. Why Why did he—it was just love, love and grace. And so it's a steadfast love. And so that's why—and by the way, let me just say this. Love is a choice. I've heard people, I've heard people and I'm going to talk about this, people have said, well, I just don't love my spouse anymore. Just I just don't feel it. I just don't feel it. Well, you don't go by your feelings. You go, you go by your volition, your will. Love is a choice. And I've told people that uh, who were kind of on the— far end of their marriage, and then by the time they came to me, they'd already made up their mind, and then they've ended up, and they usually end up getting a divorce, And but they'll eventually come talk to me, but at that point, it's, and I'll tell them, they'll say, I just don't love my husband anymore. I'll say, well, love is a choice, and they don't want to hear that, and how I know love is a choice is because Jesus said, love your enemies. Now, the worst mm. person I can love is my enemy. Are you saying that your wife is your enemy? No, not saying that. My mom is no, your enemy. Hold no, up. No, wait a minute. You're you're twisting my words. <laughs> Don't twist my words. But my point is, if I if God commands me to love my enemy, that's something I have to choose to. There's not going to be a feeling there. Yeah. The feeling is going to be hate or animosity or defensiveness. But if God says, love your enemies, do good to them, pray for them, then that's a choice that I make. And it gets back to what I said. If you're having marital problems, if you choose to love your spouse and do good to them and pray for them and bless them, okay, you can turn, what happens if you'll do that, you can turn your enemy into your friend. But in a marriage, you can turn what's a bad situation around into what's a wonderful situation because you're back on on the ground with with a covenant kind of marriage. But it takes a steadfast love. Um, It's a commitment. Covenants are permanent. We talked about how God said, I'm in this for the long haul. Mm, Covenants are not meant to be broken. They're not meant to be broken. And that's why marriage covenant, we say, till death do us part. It's supposed, there's a permanency there. And, and that's not an ideal. That's, that's just the way it is. And now we've, we've lowered the ideal or we've said that's an ideal. I don't know if I can reach that. You know, your mom and I have been married, uh, June will be 31 years. And people say, how do you make it for 31 years with all these things? We entered into a covenant, steadfast love. There have been high times, low times, hard times, great times. But if you, if you say we're permanent, we're steadfast, we're going to work our way through this. We're going to keep blessing each other through the different seasons of life. Um, we're going to make this work, you know, through com- through commitment. That's how how you do it. And and then finally, um, covenant relationships require confrontation and forgiveness. Now God's never going to fail us, but we're going to fail God. And when we do, God convicts us and says, "You can't do this. This is against my holy nature. You need you need to repent. I'll forgive you." First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Same thing's true in marriage. We're going to fail each other. And so you need to confront your spouse. And uh, and then if you're the spouse who's confronted, instead of being defensive and making excuses, you need to say, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have acted that way. And I give a little, give just a little help here. Um, sometimes it's not what we say, it's how we say it. That causes the worst problems. And I learned something that is really powerful and effective. If your spouse is doing something that is really hurtful to you or d- destructive to the marriage and it's it's harmful, it's it's hurting you, go to your spouse and instead of turning it into an argument because you, you say something mean or back at them, say something like this. When you do blank, and then just fill in the blank, it makes me feel blank and fill in the blank. 
So when you do this, when you say this to me, it makes me feel, it makes me feel hurt. It makes me feel disrespected. It whatever, fill in the blank. And what that does is, if you're um, if you're really a truly loving spouse, you and you find out that something you've done is really just hurt and damaged your spouse. It, it, that should appeal to you. Usually that opens you up to, I didn't want to do that to you. I didn't realize I was doing it. And, and it, it can segue into reconciliation and, and ultimately forgiveness. But those are aspects of covenant, you know, even with God, especially with God. And I think that's great of um, one of the most practical things that we're all, that not all of us, but a lot of us are part of is a marriage, which is a covenant. And if we can get that idea of covenant down, um, then we can better our marriages. And if you ever get lost, you just look to the Bible. How has God treated you in his covenant with you? That's how we should treat our spouses um, and our covenant with him. Well, I think you take that and you can take it back to God. So if you're listening today and you're you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what, what, uh, what a husband and wife should do every day is wake up and say, how can I um, be a better husband or wife? How can I help you? How can I make your life easier? How can I better understand you? I think we do the same thing with God. You want to be a better Christian, follower of Jesus? Say, how can I better understand you, God? How can I, how can I help you? How can I bless you? How can I help what your cause? How can I, you know, you're not going to make God's life easier, but how can I please you? How can I love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? There you go. And, and, you, and you can have a wonderful relationship with God and maintain a wonderful covenant relationship. Well, look, we hope that this discussion has helped you to understand the view of covenants in the Bible a little bit better. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you please go subscribe to our podcast? We are available, <clears throat> excuse me, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many, many Android apps. Um, you just name it. We should be on there distributed on all kinds of podcast apps. Go ahead and subscribe to us. If your app allows you to rate us and to leave a review, please go ahead and do that because that will get um, the Let's Talk About God podcast um, out there. I want to give just a special thank you to all of you who have listened, who have listened regularly every week. We are absolutely blown away by the response, by the positive responses of people saying that they've learned and they've grown and that this podcast has blessed them. Thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. And our goal every single week, every time we release a podcast, <clears throat> is we just want to help you grow in your relationship and your knowledge of God. Yes, and I, I'm, yeah, I feel the same way. Thank you for listening. I've had some of you contact me through social media, and then some of you personally have just stated how you really like this and it's helping you, and that's what we want. We want people to to not only learn. We don't want to just dispense knowledge. Uh, we want to help you. We want to help people be, be better in their walk with God and truly understanding God because God is the center of life. He's our creator. We're made to have a relationship with him, and that's why we want to talk about him so you can have a great relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 100%. Thank you again. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Watch out. Two weeks from today, we'll be releasing our very next episode. Go ahead, share, send this podcast to a friend. Um, tell them to listen. Talk about it later. Do whatever you got to do. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.